Could I do that now? Or does it have to be when you come back? He's gone. He's I think you late. can do I that now. Go for it. Hello and welcome to Catching Up David. Hello. David, <laughs> that's your cue. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? And today we are proud to bring you two, two, two podcasts in one. I am one of your co-hosts normally of the podcast, Did You Do Your Homework, uh, Martha Sullivan, and I am here as always with my other co-host of that particular show. <laughs> uh, I'm the other co-host of Did You Do Your Homework, Pete Romberg, and uh, you can all tell that we have definitely not rehearsed this, so it's going <laughs> to be great. We're doing it live. <laughs> and I'm David from Catching Up David, and with me are Hallie and Kristen. Hello, Hallie. Hello, David. Hello, Kristen. Hello, David and Martha and Pete. Well, I was going to say hello after you did your bit, like well, to everybody. And then you snooze, you lose. My bit was better, <laughs> though, because I waited. Patience is key. Well, uh, I can so... get you anywhere, so carry on. Hello to all of you. <laughs> hello, Pete. Hello, David. <laughs> hello, Martha. Is this a good night, Jim Bob situation? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, extremely excited to bring you the first uh, gigantic crossover multi-podcast event, certainly for our show, and I think for also for Catching Up David? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Uh, but we are going to be talking about uh, Trilogy Enders uh, in the spirit of Catching Up David, um, who has never seen Return of the King before. Um. People from Catching Up David. What's the story with Catching Up David? What's what's that podcast about? Listen, just because that was better than whatever I just said. <laughs> uh, Catching Up uh -huh. David really focuses on how David is inadequate as a person, but mostly as a pop culture consumer. I don't even want to say, yeah, consumer. There we go. Like, he doesn't... I mean, I'll let David tell his own story, too. I just wanted to dunk on him before he got the chance to say anything. Fair. No, no that's about right. <laughs> uh, I spent the first 30-some-odd years of my life um, not seeing much pop culture anything. Television, movies, I just missed out on all of it. And I decided that it's been it's been a long enough time that there are some things that I should really just see. And so I got Kristen and Hallie, who both love movies and have seen everything and are great and funny and smart to talk to. And they catch me up on all of the things that I've missed so far. Now, I have a quick question um, before Pete and I explain what Did You Do Your Homeworks deal is. Um, something that I have kind of been wondering as I've been listening to your show, um, were these things that you you missed just because you weren't super interested in movies? Or, like, how... I mean, some of the things that you guys have watched I would have considered as just, like, ubiquitous. And I'm just wondering if it's because you didn't have an interest in, like, 
movies or pop culture or whatever. I'm not I'm not trying to like put you on blast. I'm just honestly kind of curious about how um, you missed some of the things that you guys have discussed. Putting David on blast is the whole point. Of <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's his, his name is in the title, so yeah. <laughs> yes, some of it was a lack of interest. I spent a long time of my life being kind of a hipster. And Pete has no idea what that's about. I'm high-fiving <laughs> you over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the things that I was into, um, they're either like 70s kind of really earnest Arnold Schwarzenegger style action movies or they're super artsy like French films that you know criterion collection kind of stuff so you like your watching those things yeah yeah so between watching that and being in art school for most of my life at this point um a lot of the pop culture stuff kind of slipped under the radar or were things that um, I picked up on enough listening to other people talk about it, but it wasn't a thing that I ever felt like I especially needed to experience for myself. And over the past few years, I've felt more like, you know, I really should know what moana which is going to be our next movie oh. i should know what moana is about i should know what twilight's about um i should experience these things for myself so um this podcast was a, a great way to um really get myself out there and see what the world has to offer love it nice um well at did you do your homework we connect popular ideas with or popular culture with academic ideas. There's a reason we <laughs> write this down on the top of our note stock because <laughs> neither really, of us can really do it off the top of our head. <laughs> it is the elevator pitch for our show and we can't do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so on a, on a normal episode of Did You Do Ho Your Homework, we pick a theme and then we each pick a piece of media that we feel is representative of that theme. And then we get into... Um, like details of each piece individually and then kind of how they are reflective of each other or any ideas that um, you can kind of trace a, a through line through. So I'm, I'm very excited. We've done a couple of sort of blockbuster oriented episodes, um, but we have not done uh, a trilogy focused episode. So this will be... Um, a new and exciting reason or a new and exciting excuse for me to rewatch all of the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> uh, that's what I did when uh, quarantine started. So uh, full disclosure, I watched Return of the King in March and did not watch it for this like within the past week because that's a long movie to watch twice in one year. No, that's totally reasonable. <laughs> but also definitely did a weekend of only watching lord of the rings back when quarantine started and we thought it would just be a couple months oh god remember that and now yeah. we're on the six month <laughs> um no end in sight uh but before we get into our kind of main events pete and i usually like to start our episodes just by talking about like something in pop culture that we've been enjoying um just to kind of get uh our discussion flowing and also as a chance to be excited about, um, you know, a, a chance to, to talk about the stuff that we're ex excited about. So, um, 
Pete, why don't you start? <laughs> I thought you were uh, gonna. I thought you were gonna throw that to me. <laughs> um. Uh, but what's stuck in your head this week? Uh, week, Pete. So, uh, yesterday I got quasi randomly invited to a new D and D game. Um, I say quasi randomly because I had been talking with the the DM who's planning on starting it like a month ago, and then forgot that we had had that conversation. Um. <laughs> I am currently DMing my own game, and I'm a forever DM, so anytime I'm able to actually be a player, I am aesthetic and jumped at the chance. He, uh, This other DM is planning to run a game in the Eberron world, which is, there are many various books and stuff in, in D&D. Eberron is one of the worlds you can play in. It's a, a world that I played in in college. Uh, had a lot of, like, I remember those games very fondly, and... You know, since I got that text from him yesterday, I've been uh, immersing myself in the new rule book and rules for um, Eberron in D&D, and I'm really looking forward to playing this. So I hope it actually happens. Nerd. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You have a Tuesday <laughs> D&D night anyway. Pathfinder, whatever. Yeah, I'm running Humblewood right now. Mm -hmm. So not only are we playing D&D, but we are all small woodland creatures playing D&D. It's adorable. Adorable. Yes. <laughs> Um, Hallie, do you have something in pop culture right now that you're really excited about? Um, I'm actually going to piggyback off of both of you because I am, um, starting a new game with some friends. That yeah. D&D. Well, it's not, it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's called The Strange. Um, hmm. it's mostly, I do an actual play podcast as well as catching up David called Quest Friends. So I know the whole gaming tabletop gaming drill um but this is like a chill casual game and i haven't had one of those in a very long time so i'm very excited to be able to like eat pizza while we play <laughs> and like do other stuff like that it's gonna be so much fun but in the strange you basically world hop like the base is earth but then when you uh translate to different recursions those are all based off of like well they can be based off of anything there's like a fantasy world there's a sci-fi world etc but because of who we are as people we just make them like worlds that we like kingdom heart style so like <laughs> one of us was like we want over the garden wall world and another one yes we got love over the garden wall we're gonna have like a creepy colonial forest for one of them yeah um, pumpkin them. village yes exactly love the pumpkin village uh just played persona so there were a lot of like persona-esque requests for like a fun mindscape palace world um so you could say a lot of things are bouncing around my head because of the strange but if anybody listening is interested in tabletop gaming all the things that we just listed are super cool and you should look them up i'm googling it right now because i think my husband would be super into this whole deal yeah oh it's super cool he should same also i had not thought that it's like yeah when i play D, &D obviously we're all like we're, we're now that it's pandemic times and it's all roll 20 we're not like snacking per se but we're all drinking and leaving for a moment and coming back and you know all the rest of it but i guess you can't do that on an actual play podcast no we cannot it, it gets it gets um it's it's different when you're at a casual game and you can just <laughs> mute yourself or be like bye yeah, catch me yeah. up when i come back right and then the catch-ups are also super fun too because someone's like oh i murdered this person in the two minutes you've been gone <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kristen, do you have something in pop culture that you're really excited about right now? Uh, this one, actually, I'm a little bit behind on. 
because I'm actually finally getting around to reading the Grisha trilogy by Lee Bardugo. <gasps> and yeah, because yes. I read her Six of Crows series and I thought that was so fun. And then they announced that a Netflix show is coming around. And it seems like it sort of has crossover between the Grisha trilogy and the Six of Crows world. And I obviously didn't know any of the Grisha characters. So I'm like, okay, well, may as well dive on in right now. So I have read the first two. I'm halfway through the third. And something unsavory has happened to a, a character that I'm quite fond of. And so part of me is a little bit sad to be doing this recording, not because I don't want to talk to you guys, but because I'm like, listen, something unsavory has happened to a character I like, and I need to know if they get out of it. And I can't. The so, problem I'm is... A little bit, so I'm a little bit uh, behind on that one because those books are a while old. I don't know exactly when they were released, but I figure it also ties into some fairly current because of the upcoming Netflix show. Yeah, the problem is Leigh Bardugo doesn't care about our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, we will see how it goes. I'm optimistic, but cautiously so with an understanding that I could become very sad very soon. Yeah, my understanding of the Netflix show is that they're doing sort of a braided narrative, like with the um, the um, the smoking, not smoking bone, the that's Six different. Of Crows. Yeah, with the Six of Crows books and then the Grisha trilogy sort of interwoven. Okay. Um, because the, the Grishaverse, yeah, the Grisha trilogy takes place like hundreds of years before Six of Crows. I was going to say, I was pretty sure it took place before, just based on context clues of reading, but I couldn't remember, because it has been a while since I've read Six of Crows, so I couldn't remember any of their previous comments on like the Raccoon War and when that happened in relation to where in time those mm -hmm. places were now. So I didn't know it was like hundreds of years. I was kind of guessing um, like decades, like maybe between 50 to 150, but more than that is. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, I think it's a chunk of time. Okay. I will look it up, but everything, it's, it's also the hard thing right now because I want to just dive into the world and look up all the fan art and all the Tumblr edits, but I can't for fear of being spoiled. That's... So I will do a deep dive into that once I finish this. Excellent. Yeah, I love those books. They're so fun. I'm having a great time. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. How about you, David? Is there anything you are particularly excited about in the world of pop culture right now? Um, The one thing that has been stuck in my head over the past week or so has been Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. Oh Heck my yeah. God, yes. Which um <laughs> great album. I should I should note that um as kind of a Luddite, I don't have a smartphone. So I don't have access to Spotify or anything like that. And the C D player in my car broke. <gasps> so oh, no. for the past several months I've been listening to the radio, which is something that I previously avoided at all costs. Um, but it's given me a new appreciation for sort of classical rock. And are you, if, assuming you're in Chicago, you're either doing XRT or what, 97.1? Whatever the loop is. Uh, definitely a lot of XRT. Mm -hmm. um, the River, which is a, a local, like, suburban station, 
Um, there's two others. I have I have four in my rotation. Um, XRT is great, but um, the other ones play a lot more like classical kind of hard rock sort of stuff. So, um, but I, I recently sat down with the the lyrics to Born to Run, the the actual song, and man, they are incredible. He is just an incredible writer, which I never really appreciated before. I, I've never gotten into Springsteen, which makes me feel like I'm finally like officially over the hill and getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was sort of somebody had tweeted about the lyrics on on Twitter and I and I looked at them and he's he's just a very good writer which um, I hadn't realized before. I've also really gotten into Fleetwood Mac, which mm -hmm. was one of those... Evergreen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah one, one of those bands that I knew a, a couple songs by, but I hadn't, you know, sat down and listened to the way that one sits down and listens to music in the car. At least I do. Like, that's where I get most of my music. Sure, you throw is... a CD on and then you listen to 45 minutes of that band's CD. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I, and I, I'm able to pay attention to it a lot more driving, which is kind of an idle task. Maybe it shouldn't be an idle task, but, um, my, my brain latches onto it a lot better when I'm in the car. So being able to do that with Springsteen and Fleetwood Mac and like some of these other bands, um, Van Halen, whenever Panama comes on, it's always like a new revelation, like how great this song is, <laughs> but yeah classic rock that's the that's the thing that has been stuck in my head for the past week i i am a huge springsteen fan um and i have been since i was you know since before martha met me in high school so uh it's not just getting old although it might be getting old um uh, but like the the album born to run and fleetwood max album rumors are not uh, like they're not greatest hits albums in the sense that they're all original songs but both of those albums are literally greatest hits albums in the sense that you pick any song off it and everyone will know it and everyone will love it. And it's one of the best songs, like, you know, in their discography. Yeah. Rumors is just so good because it's it's such an interesting experience to watch a feud play out like in real within time. A, right. yeah. <laughs> a, a coke powered <laughs> love collapse, like collapse of a couple yeah. romantic relationships like, oh yeah. you guys all kind of hated each other at this point <laughs> um well as for me i function best in this quarantine situation when i have a very good lightly dramatized historical tv show to watch uh so i've been watching black sales and it's great <laughs> i have not heard of black sales what's black that Black Sails is a lightly fictionalized uh, TV show about the age of piracy. Ooh. It is sort of a Treasure Island prequel. So one of our main characters is John Silver and Billy Bones and a couple of people that we all know from the book. Um, my, my understanding yeah. is that it's a heavily fictionalized. Yeah, I mean, like, characters like Anne Bonny show up. Um, sure. How how realistic their depictions are is um, probably not very, because it's also a very, very soapy, um, kind of like unto Game of Thrones. But it's great. Uh, one of my favorite parts about it is that it shows you all of the, like, 
math and voting and logistics of being a pirate and it's like i think i think the the our main crew doesn't actually do any real piracy on screen until like the fifth episode <laughs> um but yes it's on hulu uh, and it features a lot of really attractive people being like really sweaty and dirty all the time because they're pirates, but they all have really good teeth. Um, which right, is because they're actors. I don't, I don't understand when people are like, I want these pirates to be authentic. I want bad teeth, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to look at that. I don't really. <laughs> to let yeah. the actors and actresses have good teeth. Yeah. As pirates. Right. You you I hire agree. attractive people to be attractive. Make, smudge them up Hollywood style, but don't like actually right. break their teeth or anything. Um, exactly. But yeah, the story of it, it takes place um, mostly on Nassau in the Caribbean. And it's about a crew of pirates and their um, efforts. The first season is about their efforts to locate and uh, take down a Spanish treasure ship. Uh, so we have the story about the uh, Captain Flint and his crew, and then also the people running Nassau and keeping it in business, and um, you know all of the little soap opera e type side plots that are happening around there. It's very entertaining, um, and yeah, like I said, I love a good historical drama. That sounds like fun. I will have to add it to my watch list. It is a little bit. Um, racy yeah there there's a lot of there are a lot of naked people in it and a lot of people get shot in really brutal ways because they're all using flintlock pistols um but it's still still less gory and sexy i think than game of thrones so if that's your barometer then it still falls less uh, it still falls under that i think and I it has never watched Game of Thrones, so that still doesn't mean too much to me. But I I appreciate the heads up though for yeah, it, potential nudity and violence. It does have a wide variety of excellent female characters, which I appreciate. Yeah. Always nice. Great. Yep. Alright. Well thank you. Like I said, I will have to add it because that does sound really interesting. Well, and especially because you and I were briefly connecting about Treasure Planet on Twitter the yeah, other day. Treasure Planet. Which is such Treasure. an underrated Disney movie. Deeply underrated. It deserves far more love than it. Agreed. You know, I have plans to watch Treasure Planet because it's an underrated Disney movie. But like the people I was talking about it with like didn't remember it at all. They were just what? like, I was thinking oh, what? about Treasure Planet. For no reason. So that's on our list because we're all pretty sure it's an underrated Disney movie. Hard but agree. Apparently they, they modeled the art after uh, Mike Mignola who did Hellboy and they like showed him an early screening of it and he's like, those hands look really familiar and they're like, yeah, they're your hands. <laughs> like we, <laughs> I, we, we drew it in your style, Mike. That's why it looks so, real familiar. So this is a true story. However, Pete is getting the movie wrong that it is in reference to. Was that, that happened with... No, that was Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I am totally thinking of Atlantis. Which is also a highly underrated Disney film. Yeah. Um, I have not yes. seen it since it came out. So I was, a, I was a wee child. And I need to watch that again. Because I feel like it probably would be in the same vein as Treasure Planet. And it 
would quickly become a favorite. I agree. Or yes, I I think that that is correct. I watched it the other weekend and it's excellent. Um, but yeah, Pete, you can definitely, the, the square Mignola hands are yeah. definitely on display yeah. in that one. Oh, uh, you, you just said that you had also recently watched and tweeted about Atlantis? Yes. Good. That makes me feel a lot better about confusing the two. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I use Disney Plus for. Other people are watching Mulan and stuff, and I'm like, no, Hercules. So um, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into David's first experience watching The L Return of the King. And welcome back to catching up your homework. <laughs> Love this that. Is... Uh, so All we're right. just going to start talking about Return of the King? Yes. All right. So Return of the King is the first of the two movies that we watched for today. The other one being Return of the Jedi. Return of the King is a 2003 epic fantasy adventure film directed by Peter Jackson. It's based on the third volume of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, first published in 1955, and it stars Elijah Woods, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, and Kate Blanchett. Usually on Catching Up David, I talk about how many of these people that I recognized or didn't. Um, it was about half of them this time. If for no other reason that I saw six hours of movie previous to this one that had them all in it. Hopefully you uh, recognized Elijah Wood. By that point. I, I do think I could pick Elijah Woods out of a crowd. Um, I'm not really sure who Liv Tyler or Sean Astin are. And I feel like I should know who Viggo Mortensen is. But I really, I don't know that outside of Lord of the Rings, I could be like, oh yeah, that's Viggo Mortensen. Well, but I think the rest of them... The rest of them, I think I could actually identify, though. Ian McKellen, for sure. Right. Orlando Bloom. You having might... previously watched Pirates of the Caribbean, Orlando Bloom, I think I could But do. he changed his hair, David. You're so bad at he recognizing he, people he looks, when they he looks, their hair. He looks nothing like Orlando Bloom from Pirates. It's true. That's true. I, but well, I did know also... that he was Legolas, so... The just thing is, also, I, I, I'm certain that Martha and I are about to trip over each other to say the same thing. So, Martha, you take it. Uh, Viggo Mortensen yes. outside of Lord of the Rings is unidentifiable. <laughs> he looks when he is clean and shaven, he looks like a completely different, less attractive person. Well, I, I would say uh, um, you might, you may or may not recognize him from Eastern Promises, which is enough of an art film that maybe you were watching it back when it came out. Uh, but there he plays like a member of the Russian mob and is very different. Yeah. Okay, I've heard of Eastern Promises. That is one that I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do have a problem that if people change their hairstyle or are wearing slightly different makeup, I just, 
I, I, I can't recognize them at all. They look completely different to and me. Everyone in this movie is wearing a wig, so you are just totally out of luck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's just not not gonna happen. Also, some of them are wearing fake noses. Wait, who's wearing a fake nose? Oh, Ian McKellen. You know, I didn't even recognize it. I have to look again now. Why is he wearing a fake... Why? I don't know. I just know that his, (laughs) like, the the prosthetic nose was, like, a thing while they were filming. He went through a certain number of them per day. Martha gets a point. (laughs) Oh, Martha gets a point. I have earned a point. Martha, you a point. You've earned a point. Yeah. What you can I point. what can I cash them in for? Oh, um, we don't have honor and respect. We should have like an official Fantastic. System. So many points equal something. We don't though. We you just get, get 70 points. points and you get a pencil. I'm telling you guys, these <laughs> movies were my life when I was in high school. Sometimes I wonder what I don't remember because my brain is full of useless Lord of the Rings trivia. <laughs> I really want to know how many prosthetic noses Ian McKellen went through over the course of filming three movies. Oh, hundreds, maybe thousands. I need the yeah. exact number. I wish, I wish, I wish somebody had kept a tally. That is the sort of trivia I am interested in. Like someone's sure like, "Wow, can... day seventy-nine, and Ian has already gone through forty-seven prosthetic noses." It is nine a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Screen Rant doesn't tell me how many he went through, but they do say that the reason for it, uh, to do Ian McKellen's actual nose would have been perfectly fine. However, when the makeup department added his beard and hair, his real nose looked minute in comparison. To balance things out, McKellen was asked to wear a prosthetic nose. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Thank you, Martha. You're welcome. Christopher Lee as Saruman also had to wear a prosthetic nose, presumably for the same okay. reason. Yeah. Also, like, Christopher Lee Christopher wasn't particularly in this in this movie, but I do know Christopher Lee. Well, and and here's the question that I was asking during the break: Did we watch the extended edition or the regular edition? Because Christopher Lee is just straight up not in the regular edition, um, but he's in the beginning of the extended edition. Uh, I, I okay. watched the extended edition because that's the version my dad has, and I grudgingly watched it because I was thinking, you know what, this is a long movie. I'm going to watch the theatrical release. And it does not give you the option to watch the theatrical release. Correct. So, like, extended edition it was for me. Yeah, you were like, three and a half hours? That's not nearly enough hours. I need four <laughs> hours. Please, go big or go home. Why not stay up till 1 a.m.? Yeah, I watched the extended edition of Fellowship and the theatrical edition of the other two because that's what the public library had. So that's what I got. (laughs) That's fair. I am going to take the bold stance and say that I think the only one for which it matters is the Two Towers. No, I think it matters for <laughs> ROTK, for, for Return of the King as well. Because you have... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of us have four hours to spend watching I mean, a movie, Pete. <laughs> I'm also the first one to acknowledge that four hours is a very long time. It 
it was a lot long like it feels like i spent five hours watching it because i would like pause to like go to the bathroom yeah and, like, get snacks when and do other things like put away laundry and stuff <laughs> while i was watching so it felt like a lot longer but i also can't imagine that movie being any shorter like everything in it to me felt like it added something mm-hmm. so i can't even imagine saruman not being in return of the king yeah they just cut that out entirely which like right. if if you're gonna cut it's like well you might as well cut him all out if you're gonna cut a little bit out i guess yeah i guess yeah that makes sense like when when i watched i i watched all three of these back when quarantine kicked in um and we definitely spaced it out as we watched fellowship in two towers on saturday and then went to sleep and then woke up the next day and watched return of the king because <laughs> so because we were smart and knew that that was the correct way to divvy it up they frequently become my I'm homesick movies because I can watch them and then like fall asleep and wake up and know exactly what's happening mm-hmm. wherever I wherever I have woken up. And you can almost be guaranteed it'll still be playing when you wake up. Correct. Instead of it having finished while you fall while you fall asleep. Yeah, the only rough part is that only Fellowship is on Netflix, I think. And even though we own them all, when you're sick, getting up to change the DVD and the DVD player is a lot of work. Um, Should David be giving a synopsis at this point that we have totally run roughshod over? Oh, we do that to him all the time. When he he tries to give his synopsis. (laughs) Yeah, I can do that right now. In case it's been a while since you've seen it, Return of the King is the final part of the story of Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee as they journey into Mordor to destroy the final ring of power. Their food secretly sabotaged by Gollum, Frodo grows angry with Sam, who he thinks ate the rest of their provisions, and sends him home. Gollum leads Frodo into the lair of Shelob, the giant horrible spider who I hated, where Frodo (laughs) is poisoned before being saved by Sam. Meanwhile, Aragorn and the rest of the Fellowship plots to march on the Black Gates of Mordor itself to provide one final distraction for Frodo to destroy the ring for good. A ghost army, a witch king, and a flock of giant eagles to save the day. Return of the king. (laughs) I'm fascinated by what you chose to detail there and what you chose to just gloss over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I could... Detail I could continue summarizing, but... No, it's, no, it's fine. <laughs> Wait, are, are, just, are you implying a lot we, happens in this movie? <laughs> we had to talk about Shalob, but not anything about Rohan or... <laughs> the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gondor. Sh- uh, Shalob had a much... Uh, more profound effect on me i suppose (laughs) i have recently learned that spiders are a big enough phobia of people that um a video game company that just made a backyard simulator created a spider dial where basically Mm. you can dial back the spiders until they just look like abstract blobs because people were like if your spiders are too realistic i'm not going to buy your game my my wife is, uh, one of her top phobias is spiders. Uh, so, yes, that makes total sense to me. I would have, I, I wish I could have chosen to dial back the spider in Return of the King because it was, it was not good. I didn't like it. 
And it's probably a good thing that little me did not see this in the theaters because, like, I can handle the orcs, I can handle the murder, that's fine. But you put a giant spider in front of, like, eight or nine-year-old me, not having. With, like... 20 eyes it's she love is so good yeah yeah and the, yeah. and the and the and the thing with the poison that little pointy thing yeah no, hard path yeah i my phobia isn't spiders so much as it is giant creatures mm. i had the same sort of fear of the trolls whenever the trolls showed up and i i think those scenes were all shot really well to make them really scary but yeah, just giant, like whales. I'm not a big fan of whales. Right? They're too large. Mm. Thank you. Thank so you. They're you, too they're, big. You, you probably Kelly, didn't like the Muma kill then. The, uh, no. They're, like, like the big elephants. Too big. Too big. It's too big. Too much. Did you too think big. the trees were too big? Were you like, oh no. But no, trees. those were fine. That's, I mean, they're that's a fairly regular size for trees. Yeah, for like an old Yeah, oh, but like, that's a fairly regular size for god what was the creature we were just talking about she loved the big one not the, the spider the, elephant the elephants the the mumakil no 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 tree beard the, the trees the trolls, the trolls? Jo- yeah uh, trolls which does not begin with a g but like that's a standard <laughs> type for trolls and well, trees but, are the standard size for trees. Well, and whales are the standard size for whales. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. It's, like, it's too big. No, it is not. Yes, it is. They're all too then big. Then why I, I have think... the same beef with the tree? The trees are bigger than the... whales. Yeah, but like... No, trees are... <laughs> no. On a um, tree, have you like... been to the Redwoods, Hallie? Those trees are giant. Did, did you watch the other movie we watched with really big trees in it? Well, yeah, but I mean, like, they, don't, they don't, <laughs> like, they don't move. I mean, these trees moved, and that was fine, but, like, <laughs> whales, they just, like, hang out in the deep abyss of the ocean, and I don't like it. I don't Would like you it. rather the whales no. be stationary? <laughs> no! I, or like, on land? That way. I will say that I am absolutely on Hallie's side in that the deep abyss of space is the most terrifying thing ever, and anything that just sort yeah. of chills there is probably not trustworthy. Or Thank you. Like, Martha, I assume you mean the deep abyss of the, of the ocean, because I know you are a big fan of terrifying things living in the deep abyss of the ocean. Um, like mermaids in that I like, I was going to say in that I like to read horror about it because it terrifies yeah, me. Yeah, like Mirror Grant yeah. stuff or whatever her water Rolling alias is. in the deep. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, that was a bit of a tangent. Carry on. It was. We, we, we are split between liking big things and disliking big things on this, on this episode. I am, I am neutral about big things. I am pro big things. Go big or go home. Yeah. That is how I feel about tattoos. Um, oh, yeah. Good attitude. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, Spiders are whatever. I've actually gotten to be much less afraid of spiders since I am now the one in my house that has to kill bugs if anyone is going to be killing bugs. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten much more pragmatic about spiders and gross things that live in my house. And I guess... I don't know. I think Shalab was just enough of a fantasy abstraction that she didn't really 
upset me. I will say what upset me is what Frodo looks like when Sam pulls him out of the webbing mm-hmm. and he has that kind of mummified like pasty yeah. look. Mm-hmm. That that Limp I found very, very fish. bad. Yes, very yes. bad. I was talking about that with my dad because he loves these movies. So he watched the last one with me and we were pointing out how, how Sean Bean's brother in the movie, whose character's name I can never recall. Faramir. <laughs> how, he, how he, when he was dead, quote unquote, he actually looked still alive. And it's like, you idiot old man, you can clearly see that this man is alive. But like, you can easily see how Samwise thought Frodo was dead because he did not look good. That was gross. Yes. I also don't like how wet the orc's mouths get. Yeah. Like I... with all of their with all of their teeth and things. I yeah, not I, a fan. I just learned that the actors had to um swish, I guess, licorice mouthwash because they were like orc blood, blood is black, so the mouths of the, the inside of the mouths of an orc would be black. So, uh swish around this licorice mouthwash to make your mouth black. I and have then that several makes teeth, And then that makes your teeth black, and then, like, everything is just gross. Yeah. Ew. It's probably licorice mouthwash designed for this movie. Like, it's probably not Listerine brand, <laughs> make your mouth black <laughs> mouthwash. <laughs> like an orc. <laughs> right. So, in terms of being our our final episode, how do we feel, especially since all of you guys apparently rewatched all of the movies. I did not, I confess. I just watched Return of the King. Um, how does it rank in terms of a satisfying conclusion? So satisfying. It... Very high. That's my opinion. That's it. Just that's that's it. That. <laughs> very, very good. High. Very satisfying. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Hallie. A-, a plus would bring a ring to Mordor again. <laughs> yeah, let's go and do it all again. <laughs> I um, was pretty pleased with it. But the biggest gold star it gets is that I was able to not almost fall asleep while watching it. No disrespect to the first two. I think the movies were just too long for me and I started them too late. And so the other two... I would get distracted and I would start to fall asleep. But this one, actually, it held my attention. I didn't almost fall asleep. I wasn't checking my phone or doing other things while watching it. And I think it was a good, satisfying conclusion in bringing all the different stories and the elements that you had seen before in the other two uh, all together in a nice little neatly wrapped package. And I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, it's a movie where you sort of know the broad strokes of what's going to happen from the start of it. Like, you know that Frodo's going to complete his quest and destroy the ring. That just is a thing that has to happen. Sauron's going to be defeated. But the process and the journey of getting there is still really exciting. And the twists and turns were all, like, really well executed. Like, I have just as many sort of mixed feelings as the Hobbits do by the very end of it. Both like, hooray, the quest turned out for the best and everything is okay now but also really sad and feeling kind of melancholy about the fact that frodo and gandalf are leaving the world and you know sam is losing his best friend yeah like i think what makes it such an effective ending for me is that it has both those happy and sad qualities and i always tear up during the ending having now seen the ending twice like i remember tearing up the first time but this time 
having relived through everything in such a close space of time i was like god i don't want to watch this anymore like but i do like i would watch all this again i would i would willingly hurt myself again to experience all of this but i'm just like i'm so happy for sam at the end of it because he gets to ask out rosie cotton and he has a cute little family and like the movie ends on his door and i think that's really cute and really cool (laughs) and i really really like that ending shot and i can't articulate exactly why it just feels so like homey and small and like an epic as big as this trilogy should end on something as homey and small as that and it just really gives me all the good ending feelings so this is why this is why i will go to the mat for any for against anybody that says that it has too many endings gosh dang it martha i was about to bring up the there are too many endings there are not there are not i will fight anybody who says that any of those endings should be cut because i need all of them like yes i agree poor hobbits have been through so much and we the audience Um, have been through so much like we have consumed by by the time we get into all the endings we've consumed like eight hour nine hours of movie we need a lot of endings to wrap up nine hours of one story and hallie i agree with you it is very important to me also that the movie ends on sam's door and with sam's family because he spends the whole movie sort of he is not the hero but he is heroic and yeah um one of he's hobbit hero he's he's the heroism that tolkien loved which is the simple heroism of the english farmer who is thrown into dire straits but makes it through and comes back world war one references yeah and unlike frodo who kind of has to be there Sam is there because of how much he loves Frodo. And one of the one of the the only bit in the book that I am sad that we don't get in the movie is that Sam also gets to go to the Undying Lands when he dies. That, um that's, because that's like in the appendices. Carried, right. That's but but like he carried the ring for a while too and it is it was always important to me that he get to be recognized for even if it was just for a little bit like he he helped carry that burden also i get very emotional talking about (laughs) sam i think a lot of people do and i'm very happy that most people agree that samwise gamgee is probably the most heroic character in lord of the rings because i love him so much yeah I, I there's a lovely moment in the end of the book a glad gives him a little box with um a seed and some like magic soil and at the end before frodo goes off uh, to the undying lands sam just sort of like he plants the seed where the party tree used to be and it eventually becomes one of the the trees of lothlorien right there in the shire and then he like sprinkles the the soil all over the shire and like everywhere he sprinkles it it's like boom crops for the for all eternity because it's magic elven soil and like that's such a sweet little thing of like what does sam love he's a gardener he wants to make the shire better he wants to make it pretty and i won't monopolize any more conversation about samwise gamgee but i think one of the reasons return of the king is so is such an effective ending for me is because it has the scene that i consider the most stressful scene in the trilogy and in like a lot of the movies that I have seen, which is when um, 
when Gollum has convinced Frodo that Sam ate all the bread mm. that Sam, like, was giving to Frodo and abstaining from earlier. Like, I couldn't watch that scene the first time it was happening. I nearly left the room because I was just so... Well, and and doubly so, Gollum is a terrible liar. So, like, right. I mean, like, you're, you're just looking at his body language like, Frodo, bro. Like, this dude? I know, like, I get it. You're corrupted by the ring, ETC, ETC. But, like, oh, my God. Just let Sam beat him up. Just push him over the cliff. Please do this. I know. Like, and then he makes Sam leave? Yeah. Yeah, like, it's like Sam cries against the rock and his face is all smudged and he curls up in his cloak. And it's just, like, so freaking sad. And it's just so stressful for me watching that scene happen. Yes. Well, so, um, uh, uh, David, this was this being your first time watching it, obviously you enjoyed it, but what was your take on it? If you have any take, my, or like your, your... My take. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I might have been talking about this over the break, but I, I did rewatch the first two as well to make sure I remembered everything that happened. And I don't know, I liked them a lot more than I thought. Like, most of what mm. I remembered was how long that they were. Um... But I think for one thing that we haven't really talked about, for being like three plus hour long movies, they're really super well paced. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't, I, I don't know, I watched Return of the King all in one sitting. Like I, I hadn't intended to, I was going to put on like about half of it and then go to bed and then wake up and watch the rest of it. But it just, time sort of got away from me and it, every moment it felt like like well i have to watch the next part now and then i'll take a break after that well now maybe one more scene mm -hmm. <laughs> and that just kept happening um and i, I think i i know that I, it, for for two towers at least peter jackson was very aware of like battle fatigue of like if you're just watching action scenes forever you just don't care so he like intercut all the helms deep stuff with like all the frodo stuff and all like he, he made sure that it wasn't just like 60 minutes of fighting and I think he did the same thing right. here, which is probably like what you're talking about. Of just like, yeah, absolutely. It is really effective yeah. pacing. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that even when I was frustrated with how long the movies were, and I think having seen the end honestly makes me want to go back and watch the first two again, if mm. that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But. Even when I was super frustrated, like, God, can't these movies just be shorter? Like, I want to watch them, but I want to watch them faster than this. I, I couldn't even complain because it's not that any scene was dragging out unnecessarily long. And I couldn't think of any scenes that you could really make that much shorter because it had all been paced so well that it would feel too rushed if you did that. So I think, yes, it's a long trilogy of movies but everything is done so well and spaced out so well that you can't really even complain about that. You can find other things to complain about, but the space is not one of them. I also think just visually, it has aged fantastically well. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, I, I don't actually know what the ratio of like CGI to practical effects was. I think it, just knowing how much they did with like makeup and the fact that they were filming on location, I have to imagine that most of it is practical. I mean, a lot of it was practical, but we're still talking like every single scene has some CGI in it. It's just that instead of it being all CGI, it's 
like every scene is CGI, but also every scene has some practical. Instead of now, it'd just be like, you know, Gandalf in a green bodysuit on a green screen. And then they'd well, like Photoshop in his wizard robes, you know. I, I know that Ian McKellen, when they were filming the Hobbit movies, Ian McKellen did talk about how sad it made him that he had to film a lot of that, like by himself against a green screen. Yeah. Because I think they CGI'd a lot more of that one. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. The Hobbit was not good. less good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with not, not good. Uh, anything else we want to say about Return of the King? I will say, uh, going back to the to the Sam conversation because I love him. I do also think that this movie helped because before I hit play, I was on a little tirade with my dad, being like, "I understand that Sam is here because he's a good person and he can leave at any moment, and he chooses not to because he's a wonderful human being, Hobbit being." But I, I had issues with the first and the second one, just in the sense that it seemed like, you know, Sam overheard loud voices, was eavesdropping, which maybe isn't great, but it seems like Gandalf was like, Frodo is the one who has to do this, and because of your tiny little crime, you are the one who is bound to help him forever. And it seemed like almost an, an abuse of Sam's good character, and that you know that if you say this to Sam, Sam is absolutely going to do it. And he's going to follow Frodo to the end of the year. Also because he cares about Frodo because they're friends. I was going to say, the, like... the thing is that Sam and Frodo are in love. So... <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, but um, like, also... I, it, he, went, he went from saying Frodo to Mr. Frodo. And then Sam did everything. And he carried, like, all the pots and pans, and no one else did. And there was never a moment where someone was like, Hey, Sam, would you like me to carry this for you? Look heavy. And Sam said, No, I got it. And they could be like, Ah, thanks, Sam. It always, it, it just came across to me as almost like abusing his kindness. But in the last one, I think it really showed more of, like, Sam doesn't have to be here. He was sent away by Frodo. He could do all this, but he's a good person and he wanted to help Frodo and he wanted to see this through. And so he's going. And so I was very pleased that I didn't have the same slightly bitter taste in my mouth with how they treated Sam by the end of the movie, like I had with the first two. Well, yeah. I, I think part of that bitter taste comes from the fact that like it's written in 1950s england so the idea of like landed gentry and his bat boy are like it, like that's just tolkien's world view so yeah, yeah. the idea of like like yes obviously sam will follow his master into the bitter end and do whatever he wants because that's what we do step over upper lip what what um so <laughs> there's definitely some of that vibe yeah going on and as martha says uh especially less, I, I was less say, in the book more I... in the movie I really Deeply think in that love. you guys don't understand that I'm not being facetious <laughs> when I say that. In the book, too, though. Um, in, in the book, it scans stall, more as that, like, landed stall gentry. For, stall for time. Just a moment. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a quote I'm about to pull out that is from the books. I just reread the Dude. books. You can read a love interest in there, but... If you read it from a 1950s English landed gentry angle, I don't think it comes across as as uh, 
romantic. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's the opposite of platonic love? Like, yeah, I guess amorous love, uh, as mm-hmm. we would read it now. Yeah, the other part that I don't think helps with the none of them appreciate Samwise Gamgee is that Mary and Pippin are jerks. <laughs> God, I love Mary and Pippin, though. They are. Oh, yeah. The, they are no, great. I do. I, yeah, I think Sam gets, I don't know, yeah, I don't want to say walked on. That feels maybe, like, a little bit too mean. But he does, he does kind of get the shaft in fellowship like he's nice and he's cute and then he has the where he swims after frodo he's like you can't, I can't swim, swim. Sam. <laughs> right that's... oh my god <laughs> i was like oh my god every time samwise gamgee has like a scene it's adorable but that, that that's and... the, that's the best sam scene ever because it's like he knows he can't swim but he's like doesn't matter gotta make this oh, work gotta get to frodo yeah. like it's so it's so good and like i made a promise you know don't you leave him sam and i don't mean to oh like that line is just so good, and that feels no, like, like that's it feels one of the ones like that bugs me though. But because Gandalf is dead by that point, it feels like that means even more. You know, dead quotation marks. It it means more to Sam at that point. But you could also make the argument that Gandalf does use everyone. I know the villains, especially Saruman, at least once try to be like Gandalf's uses all his friends and those he professes to love for his own purposes. And I guess that's kind of right. So submitted as evidence to the court, um, direct from the book, chapter 10 of I... mm, I think it's got to be Return of the King. My memory of the chronology of the books is a little fuzzy. I I got Um, you on this one, so... Yeah, so this is um, Sam rescuing Frodo from Shalab. No, from Shalab. Uh, that's the end of Two Towers in the books. All right. On the near side of him lay, gleaming on the ground, his elven blade where it had fallen useless from his grasp. Sam did not wait to wonder what was to be done or whether he was brave or loyal or filled with rage. He sprang forward with a yell and seized his master's sword in his left hand. Then he charged. No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the savage world of beasts where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. Okay. Submitted as evidence to the court. (laughs) Uh, I feel like mate is used, especially in British vernacular, as like, hey, mate, that's a thing, right? It is, except that in this metaphor, we're talking about animals, in which case the word mate is usually used as breeding partner. Mm -hmm. That's true. I guess Sam just is so into Rosie Cotton the whole time that it, that that precludes me against a romantic relationship between him and Frodo. But maybe I'm just boring. I don't know. See, I... I don't think that those things would... I don't think that those things have to be mutually exclusive. No, you're Particularly for someone like Sam, who is like super earthy and, um, yeah, in some ways probably uh, pretty traditional. What happens? In, what what happens in right? What happens in the trenches of World War One stays in the trenches of World War One slash Mordor. <laughs> okay. That, that even. Back mountain. Uh, just sense. let them just let them be polyamorous. Yeah. Right. Peter Jackson. It's fine. <laughs> um last last bit on this. Uh Molly Knox Ostertag, who is a 
graphic novel writer. Are you about to talk about her beautiful Salmon Frodo fic that I've yes. been reading on an archive of our own? I was going oh, to what? ask you, Martha, if you had uh, <laughs> known about her Salmon Frodo fic. Um, she, like everyone else in the world, spent quarantine rewatching Lord of the Rings at some point and went very deep down a Salmon Frodo fic uh, writing thing, which I think is ongoing. It is. It's really great. It's called All the Ways We Were on archive of our own i am looking it up right now and and bookmarking it she also has little illustrations throughout it's so cute it makes I, me cry a little bit i'd recommend her as a twitter follow i don't read her fanfic but every now and then like currently uh, i'm on twitter and i get cute pictures of sam and frodo instead of the otherwise like ravenous maw that is twitter um so in the grand tradition of Did You Do Your Homework, we also watched another famous trilogy ender, Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi was released in 1983 um, and is the culmination of episodes. Get this right. Don't mess, it, don't mess this up. <laughs> Four, five, and six. Huzzah! Yes. <laughs> of the original Star Wars trilogy. Um this was directed by Richard Markhand and written by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas and stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and a bunch of other people. Um, after a daring yeah, like mission Billy to Billy D. Williams. Okay. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> I know he's right. But... And Peter Mayhew. And I know Peter people Mayhew. too. Yeah. Uh, after a daring mission to rescue Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, the rebels dispatched to Endor to destroy the second Death Star. Meanwhile, Luke struggles to help Darth Vader back from the dark side without falling into the Emperor's trap. Um, something that, just really quick, I was interested in after I rewatched this. Um, I did not remember movie trilogies, like intentional trilogies, as being a thing or as being popularized in cinema before star wars and as far as i can tell star wars was kind of the first dedicated serialized trilogy to really be um popular and to kind of popularize the trilogy as like a cinematic storytelling vehicle which i just thought I was really interesting i saw your tweet and i thought yeah huh that's a really solid point because that, I cannot think of a series before this that really did a trilogy or at least like intentionally so. And we have had plenty since, but, but this, yeah, I think you're right. Definitely uh, kickstarted that. That being said, and I'm coming into this very hot because I also saw that tweet and then thought about it for a while. Um, Lucas loves to say that he always wanted this to be a trilogy, but that is some flat out nonsense. Oh yeah. Uh, no, like, no, so, like one... Star Wars was not intended to be a trilogy until it was really popular. And then it's like, oh, what if we do a second one? And we'll end on a cliffhanger. But they didn't know what the, like, they didn't plan Empire knowing no, what ROTJ so... would be. Well, yes, he did. So no, the he didn't. They didn't know if they were going to bring, uh, they didn't know if uh, Harrison Ford was going to come back, which is why they put him in Carbonite. Because uh, at that point, he could either die or be saved. Well, so as I understand it, the first Star Wars movie was... Um, totally sort of lightning in a yeah, yeah, lightning in a bottle, and yeah. then that one was popular enough that Lucas was like, "All right, let me script or like let me storyboard 
two more movies. So I don't know that he had them completely plotted out, but the popularity of the first Star Wars movie did lead to him saying, okay, let's make two more. Oh, and also, these are the middle movies in a trilogy of trilogies. Right, at that point, he he had a lot of grand ideas, but I don't think he had a plot idea for Jedi when he made Empire. He just knew that it would be the middle movie of three. Like, I think it was all very seat of the pants in... I guess the point that I'm trying to come around to is that we have... We have some series of movies where we have one movie and that gets popular. So they make the second movie and that is popular. Mm. And then they make a third movie. Sure, you're rocking. And then we have, and then we have Star Wars, which after the first one was very popular, Lucas says, okay, let's do like books and Mm -hmm. make it a trilogy. Mm -hmm. So like that kind of intentionality. Right. Um, And yeah, so I was just, I was interested by that because now the, the trilogy feels like a very standard thing particularly for blockbusters Mm -hmm. um and it was just interesting to me that i think that part of that reason is because star wars did so good yeah i did not watch i did not rewatch a new hope i did watch empire strikes back which i had not seen since i was like eight oh what I'm not a Star Wars person, I, Pete. I, I always forget that. <laughs> uh, I am a huge Star Wars person. Um, in the opposite sense of, of the Catching Up David idea, I first saw Jedi when I was like, I don't know, four? It's one of my earliest memories. Um, I was like at my parents, like a, a friend of my parents' place, and they just got a new big screen TV with surround sound or, you know, so it was probably 27 inches cause it was 1994 or whatever. Um, and I remember being enraptured by the speeder bike chases and terrified of the emperor. Uh, and it is one of my earliest and strongest memories. Uh, and then that has carried through cause I've loved star Wars ever since. Yeah. Uh, where were the rest of us at in terms of our OG star Wars experience? Yeah, I watched you mean, oh, the... oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I, I watched the original trilogy also when I was very young and have seen them, I don't know, maybe every 10 years or so ever since then. So I've, I've seen them a few times. I don't know that I'm the biggest Star Wars fan, but I do really love... I love Star Wars aesthetically, mm. like the the original trilogy, how all the all the costumes and the the scenery and the the practical effects and the painted backdrops and like the Muppets. I, I, I love the puppets. Big fan of the puppets. Um, yeah, I, I I really love the way that it looks and sort of the. I never got too much into like the extended universe and the novels and things like that. I do have friends who like went really deep down the Star Wars rabbit hole. Um, but I do know a little bit about the lore surrounding some of the characters and like extra like wedge. One one of my college buddies is like the biggest wedge and Tilly's fan. Yeah. He can ever. fight he can fight my husband for that label. <laughs> <laughs> I I too like Wedge, but I'm not gonna fight Bill for biggest Wedge fan, so Yeah. He's super into into Wedge and has told me enough times that I could probably I could probably 
pull some wedge facts out if I needed to, but <laughs> um, yeah. So Star Wars, it, it was it was interesting watching Jedi again, um, just sort of separate from the other two. And especially I was thinking about the endings of both of them, which is something we can get into later, the endings of Jedi and Return of the King. Mm -hmm. um, we can get into that later, but just tonally how different they are, considering how similar the overarching plots are of the trilogy, like confronting the great evil and destroying it and the deaths of Gollum and Vader sort of serving similar purposes and all of that, like how each of the movies reaches a very different tonal conclusion was really interesting to me yeah i like to say that i didn't really get star wars until the force awakens like that was the first star wars movie i watched where i was like oh now i understand <laughs> um i have always been sort of an appreciator of the original trilogy without really loving them um it was one of the reasons I wanted to watch Empire Strikes Back because I know that that one is widely regarded as being like the best one. Um, I have thoughts about that. Um, but no, it was it was. To hear the thoughts. Well, mostly my thoughts are, "Wow, Yoda really screwed that one up, didn't he?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also, I think it's hilarious that Han Solo spends that entire movie trying to wife Leia, and Leia is like, "I got stuff to do, dude. Like, can we wait? Can you, can you hold on, please?" <laughs> Your car barely works. Let's pump the brakes on this one, assuming the brakes work on this car. <laughs> but yeah, he is like the kid in the back of the classroom writing her notes, being like, "Do you like me? Yes or yes?" And she's like, "Dude, I can't right now." Um. But no, I also, I was glad that I rewatched, um, or I gl was glad that I watched one of the other ones because, especially in comparison to Return of the King, it was really interesting to see how much more Star Wars feels like a serial adventure rather than one contiguous story. Like, it felt, it felt much more episodic where I feel like um, Return of the King or yeah, the Lord of the Rings feel like one, one whole story that has like two different break points. Like and then each, each episode of Star Wars, very apropos feels like um, an episode of something with like a couple overarching plot lines that get resolved. Um Lord of the Rings is a 10-hour movie that, for practical purposes, they had to split up. This is a TV show. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, which which makes sense, because uh, Lord of the Rings is a book, so obviously... And, like, the reason why it was published as three books was because Tolkien wrote a thousand-plus page manuscript, and the publishers were like, no, we can do, <laughs> we can do this in three, uh, but not in one. It's just after the war. We don't have this kind of... We can't do this. Um... Whereas for Star Wars, Lucas was intentionally like looking at the old serials from his childhood. I was um, gonna say he he is influenced by the serial format in a lot of his works. Yeah, when and talking about serialism, I felt that more so even than Empire, Jedi feels very serial. Like it starts and we have a, a rollicking escape from the dungeons of the bad guy, and then we, you know, like like that's 
the first act is Jabba's palace, and then that's basically entirely divorced from the rest of the movie. Um, I also have no concept of how long it is between Empire and It's like five Jedi. years. I, no, I, I looked it up, and it said it was supposed to be like one year. Oh, I thought it was like, because Shadows of the Empire is between those two. Um, the famous N64 Which is... video game and also book. Um was that part of the extended universe that got written out of canon when Disney bought Lucasfilm? This year? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the video games got written out of canon, so probably. But like Luke has to like go and meditate on Tatooine for a while and build a lightsaber. Um You mean Dagobah? He builds a lightsaber on Tatooine in uh the Lars's old homestead. Although that knowledge is based on old extended universe stuff, so that might not be true anymore. Also, that's kind of cold if he is on Tatooine for a bunch of time while Han is just chilling in Jabba's palace. Yeah, he's got to, you know, figure out how to break him out. I don't know. Yeah, they had a pretty complicated plan for that one that took a very long time. Yeah. Com complicated is generous. Okay, I guess that's <laughs> Convoluted. Just, it's funny Stupid. because I watched all the Lord of the Rings movies and was like, yes, this is amazing. But during Return of the Jedi, a single two-hour film, at the beginning, I was like, hurry it up. We have been here forever. Yes. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is taking forever. Like, at one point, that bounty hunter comes in and he has a bomb that he's going to detonate if yeah. Jabba doesn't pay him a certain amount. And I was like, that bomb better come back and be a plot-relevant thing. That better be why this is happening, because otherwise I am so angry that we are dealing with something besides Han Solo right now. And it heck! And I was like... <laughs> This is why. Why did we you, waste time on this? You raise a really good point. It's infuriating that Leia doesn't get to later throw a thermal detonator at someone. Right? Like yeah. that could have been a really cool setup for Like something. on Endor and even. Like on Endor she could be like, ah, oh, I've got this thermal detonator from when I was yeah, the bounty hunter. That could have worked. And they don't and they don't do that. So like what what was the point? What yeah. was the point of that? And then like everything takes because sometimes you get subtitles when characters are speaking in another language and sometimes you don't. And that upset me. I, I was yeah. noticing just how much Huttonese they're talking in this movie, and it's nonsense. It, it is so much. So much. And like C3PO either spends so much time translating things when you don't you don't need that. Just have both characters speak a different language if you really need that and use subtitles. Or have like a miscommunication be key to the scene. I don't know. Like I don't, it just really got under my skin when I was watching the beginning of Return of the Jedi, because I was like I know they get him out, but why is it taking 35 minutes to do this? <laughs> so in terms of being a satisfying conclusion, this is, it's a little bit different because now we know that it's not the ultimate conclusion, but it is meant to finish off like this set of three movies. Do we think that it does so in a satisfying way? <laughs> I I think right. it I think it resolves Anakin's arc very nicely, like Luke and Anakin's arc, like and all the stuff with the Emperor. I think that works very well. Um, the part that the movie literally ends with like a giant party and it's a freeze frame look at camera as like fireworks are going off is hacky, but whatever. It's the early '80s. It's a movie for kids, so well, I mean that's it fine. works. You know, I yeah. just like. Like Martha, Star Wars has never really been my thing. Uh, I have I had tried to watch A New Hope independently since high school, like five times, and I have never been able to get through it. Oh, whoa! I I know. Just I know. like, is it too slow? It's too slow. I just like get bored after Tatooine, 
somehow during Tatooine, and that's at like the very beginning. Like I just, and I don't know. It's never, to be fair, it's in never a new stuck hope, with me. In a new hope, Tatooine is like f- almost fifty minutes, which is a enormous amount of its runtime. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better, and that tracks a little bit with my viewing taste because I think ninety minutes is the perfect length for a film, unless it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Hell <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, thank you. 90-minute movies are the best. Like, yes. Condense it all. Platonic ideal. In and yes. out. Done. We're on the same wavelength. I'm so happy about that. Uh, yeah, a, a, a so recurring just... theme of Did You Do Your Homework is uh, Martha hates any film over two hours. Yes. God, you're amazing. I have stuff to do. <laughs> right? I have things to do. I just want to enjoy this story and then think about it and move on with my life. Correct. Please condense it for me so like uh, star wars has always kind of moved a little bit too slow for my taste and it just i don't know it's not my thing it's never really stuck with me and i have a hard time remembering the plot of any star wars movie after i have watched it uh which is why return of the jedi for me i was like yeah that worked so i just feel like i don't really have i don't have the credentials to be like this was a good ending because i don't care enough about star wars to have as strong an opinion as i do about return of the king piggybacking off of that it's because i also am not a big star wars person i have tried to be a star wars person i did not watch episodes four five and six until i was a junior in college because i just didn't i don't even know and my issue with star wars is that it seems like it does world building but without death so they tell you like oh we're gonna go to this planet and talk to this person and here's this other language but there's no like actual meaning behind it other than this planet this person this language whatever and i think describing it as episodic was very good and i think it put a word to sort of what i had been feeling for a long time and so i don't think that it's an un ending but i can see again going with vibe how at the end of it you could just say all is well for our heroes until next week and then there's like some new big bad so it it has a good ending but it doesn't finite so that's that's a really good point and i think it tracks well with like the the longer history of both media um we were talking earlier about how, like, my brain's Star Wars knowledge is based on all the old extended universe stuff from the 90s, which is now no longer canon. Um, but instead, it's been replaced with a bunch of new content that is all post-Jedi. So, like, Star Wars nerds love asking the question of, like, what comes next? So this isn't really an ending. It's just sort of a, a pause. Whereas for Lord of the Rings, oh, okay. no Lord of the Rings nerd is writing... Asterix, of course, on Lord of the Rings are doing this, uh, is writing a, like, post-Lord of the Rings stuff. They're all writing, like, pre-Lord of the Rings stuff. You know, like, anyone who wants to play in Middle-Earth is all doing it before Lord of the Rings. No one is writing what's happening in the Fourth Age. Because, who cares? Like, Lord of the Rings ended it. Like, Return of the Je- Return of the King is the end. Uh, whereas Return of the Jedi just feels like a pause. I and- bet there's some fluffy fan fiction about, oh. like... Aragorn and his son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I am putting a, like I'm putting a big asterisk next to the nobody is writing <laughs> what, about what's happening next. And even like like Tolkien in the appendices of Lord of the Rings wrote like what happens in the Fourth Age. Like Aragorn lives for two hundred years and is a great king and has a bunch of kids and then dies. Like whatever. 
but it's all yeah, fine. Think, yeah, I think the other part of that may just be our cynicism as movie watchers, or not cynicism, but like our awareness as consumers of pop culture. Like at this point, we know that Disney is going to make is going to make Star Wars movies until we all turn to dust and blow away. Mm-hmm. That's true. So yep. it's hard to think about an ending being satisfying when you know there's always going to be more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many endings, I think, now, these days, even when it is the end of a trilogy, I think people sort of look for open doors and they say, oh, this thing wasn't completely resolved. And they go for it. And I don't think that is in or I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I can have some fun with a good open ending and not having all the ends of things. But Disney seems like they capitalize on that. What if we did this with this set of characters and the story continues on? I was so going to yeah, say. It almost feels more like a pause than an actual ending. Well, and having an open-ended ending is different from setting up for a sequel. Like, I... Oh, yeah. I have no problems with a well-done ending that doesn't put a bow on everything. It's when it's when a studio is obviously like, and if this is successful, we're gonna make more. And then mm-hmm. it's like, well, no, just tell your story. The, like, the, the flip side of that is Avengers Endgame, which I think did a great job of finishing 21 movies, uh, even though we all know that they are going to continue to make movies. <laughs> um, because they had announced like 80 movies already, you know, on the roster. I have a lot of complicated feelings about Avengers Endgame that we could probably do a whole episode on. Great. I will pencil that in for sometime in December. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't disagree with you on that one, but part of me is like, I feel very strongly that movies should be able to stand on their own. We're not. We're not. That's a very different episode. Yeah. Any other comments, observations, questions? Oh, really quick, just going back to Return of the King very fast. Um, three of my favorite seconds ever committed to film are in Return of the King, and they are in the background. If you can't carry it, I'll carry you? Oh, okay. What? I thought you were going to say the if you can't oh. carry it, I'll carry you, which is a no, great No, that makes scene. me cry every single time. Yeah. Agreed. But what I'm specifically talking about is at the end of the Battle of Pelennor Fields, Aragorn is talking to somebody in the foreground, and in the background, you see a swarm of ghosts go up and over and take out one of the elephants. Yes. It's amazing. I knew exactly where you were going. You said three seconds committed to film, and I was like, it's going to be that three seconds, because Martha and I are apparently the same person. Yes. (laughs) I love that scene so much. If if, if it wasn't the I'll carry you, I was like, well, it's the Mumakil ghost scene, so yeah. Yes, it's incredible. And whoever, whoever put that, just snuck that into the background, um, deserves an Oscar, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, won one. Probably. It won all of the yeah, Oscars. It, it probably got one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were enough to go around. <laughs> yeah, that was, so the, the year that I started caring about the Academy Awards was um, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Nice. Was that uh, when it was up against Chicago? Or was that two towers? Um, let's find out. Boring conversation anyway. We don't have to actually go down this road <laughs> if we don't want to. Let's see, it was 2000. And, so Chicago came out in 2002. That would have been two towers. 
Yes. Cool. Yeah, and we all know we all understand that when Return of the King won all of the Oscars, that it was really the whole trilogy winning all of the Oscars. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely won everything, but yeah. I was like. Like, obviously, I knew that Lord of the Rings had won a bunch of stuff, but but rewatching, I was like, man, I'm so glad this won a bunch of stuff because it's so good. Even like we kind of touched on makeup for something unrelated earlier, but like the oh for the pirate show that Martha's watching, Black Sails, mm -hmm. um, the makeup in Lord of the Rings is so good. I was admiring it constantly because it's dirty and it's grimy and it's Hollywood dirty and grimy. Like everybody yeah. still looks good. Yeah, but like. Viggo Mortensen is, is a hot man who looks hot in the entire movie, no matter how yeah. grimy he is. Yeah. No matter how Correct. greasy his hair is, how much of it is in his face. Yeah. Uh, how and, sweaty every anyone looks. Like, Sam's eyes sparkle no matter what. I'm happy that the people who worked so hard on all these effects and everything got rewarded for their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I... I think it does a good job at, at holding up. Because, I mean, at the beginning of fellowship there was one moment where i was like oh wow that is like blatantly green green yikes is that how it's going to be for this whole trilogy but i really think that that one spot was the most like oh yikes special effects moment and everything else is still pretty top notch like it this is almost 20 years old and it stands up so good job Ugh, the 20 the 20th uh anniversary of these movies is gonna <laughs> that's gonna be a that's gonna be a oh man i feel old kind of situation <laughs> i saw fellowship of the ring 13 times in the theaters you guys i don't know that wow. i can i don't know that i can stress enough how much these movies ruined my life i think i only saw it eight times in the theaters <laughs> which yeah <laughs> uh, i only yeah. saw it the once and my parents said that the orc scared me like every time I mention Lord of the Rings, they'll be like, "Oh, you didn't like those there orcs," and I'm like, I mean, "Well, yeah, it's probably like six or seven, so." The They're orcs scary. are scary. Well, and in yeah. Fellowship, you have that one scene where all of the hobbits are hiding behind the tree while the Nazgul is like sniffing them out. Oh yeah, what that scene yeah. messed me up. Yeah. Uh, I know that they're not actually in the room, but when they all go into the room, they think the hobbits are in and just hold the swords above their sleeping forms. I was like, God, I hate it. That horrible, it was just really brutal. That horrible, like, screaming noise they make. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think Lord of the Rings is very effective at their monsters and their villains. Well, and that's because, like, we Peter, a little bit. Peter Jackson came out being, like, a schlock horror guy. So, like, that totally makes sense that like, he knows how to... Like, his horror beats are strong because he made, like, a bunch of schlocky horror movies, like, low-budget horror movies, so he knew how to, like, deliver on that. And also beautiful creatures. <laughs> <laughs> David, were you trying? It's a different beautiful creatures than the one based off the books. Oh, okay. Um, we don't yeah. have to get into it. I was just confused. Yeah, it's not the it's not the 2013 um, YA adaptation. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's a based on a true crime story. Ooh. About anyway. two, yeah, <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> um, David, were you trying to say something earlier, and we just sort of ran over you a bit? No, I wasn't. Okay. <laughs>
Heavenly creatures. Sorry, my bad. Same there. Yeah, close. Uh, yeah, any other thoughts, observations, things we wanted to cover? Uh, does anybody have a Sam and Frodo ship name? I was going to go with Frowise, but Fro-wise. I don't know that that's I don't know that oh, that's I completely forgot any about better. That. Okay, because the only thing I, I had about matching up the last thing. I thought about that, but then we didn't want a portmanteau. And the only other thing I could think of was strawberries. Because do you remember the taste of strawberries, Mr. Frodo? <sighs> I feel like strawberries isn't enough to stand I know, on its it own. doesn't feel I feel feel like you right. could do the like do you I want the taste of strawberries and that's gonna like stab someone in the heart. Like but that's kind of a long tag on it. Yeah. All the phrases are too long, and all the words only feel like starting points. I was gonna say, I I want like a noun and of a, a noun and an adjective, and like one of those describes Sam, and one of those describes Frodo, and then together they make a coherent phrase. Oh, that'd be good. But I don't know that I'm clever enough to do that on demand right now. Yeah, I would need a few I days. Also... But I will... Yeah, I'm. This is this is a task now. Although more than Sam and Frodo, while I was watching, because I had looked up uh, a couple things on Pinterest, I saw a very good, like, Legolas and Aragorn art, fan art. And Ooh. then I saw so many things with, like, Legolas and uh, Gimli? Gimli. And I'm like, wow, okay, these are fun. I can get behind this, especially because I don't think they were shown super often, which is fair. They didn't necessarily have a big enough part. But I think it's almost even more fun that the do the the tiny parts that we do get, you see the Legolas and Gimli bickering, and I'm like, okay, I I'm subscribing to this. I can look up some fanfic. Yeah, F- fanfic aside, I've always been a huge fan of the Legolas Gimli like friendship, whether it's oh, de- platonic yeah. or amorous, because like, oh, it's great. Gimli's I'm love also- of uh, <laughs> of Galadriel is incredible and in the books is like even more so and it's so good i'm just also aesthetically a fan of the tall and the small (laughs) small s-m-o-l small yes a tall and a small i do like i do like that i will say that one relationship i was like inexplicably happy for was uh faramir and eowyn like they just they just like make eye contact across the way looking moodily out a window and they're just both kind of sad and then hit it off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm into it. This feels very right and very out of nowhere, but very welcome. And you get maybe two scenes with them together, but I really like those two scenes. Hard and agree. They make, they make me happy. Faramir, this this is what I decided. He looks like the love child between, in the cinematic Harry Potter movies, uh, uh, oh God, Bill Weasley, and Remus Lupin. If they had a child, that's Faramir. Is Bill Weasley, um, he's a... Domhnall Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm not wrong. Yeah, I know. I didn't know if you guys were taking that long pause to be like, no, I'm thinking of idiot. I also just think that he looks a lot like Sean Bean, and I'm really impressed with the casting on that one. I'm gonna be very straight with you. I had to stop and remember that David Thewlis and the guy who played Faramir are in fact two different people. <laughs> Every time any news about David Thewlis casting comes up, I'm like, Faramir, not Faramir, never mind. Not Faramir. <laughs> Lupin. Incorrect. 
But yes, I do the same thing. I was really okay, worried well, when I was watching Fellowship that there were going to be too many long-haired, bearded, brunette men in <laughs> the trilogy. And I was just not... I, 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 It was really hard for me to tell Aragorn and Boromir apart for a little while. And no. that's so funny to me because their hair color feels so different to me. Well, their, their bodies feel it, different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't I can't explain this problem that I have. <laughs> I, I mean, first Other of all, I the state that I do have it. And this was one of the things that triggered it. I totally get you. Um, but then, I am terrible with faces. So, yeah. Yeah, then Boromir died and everything was fine. I mean, not for Boromir. <laughs> we're like, oh, right, no, we're taking that hit for me, David, so that I can yeah. tell Aragorn apart. And then he had a Aomer's brother blonde. who looked exactly like him. Right. It was it was rough. But like, but Aomer's blonde. blonde, and he's the only other bearded like man of that of approximately that age who has a name. Right. And also, oh my God. Carl Urban. By Judge Dredd himself. No one told me that Carl Urban was in this movie. <laughs> I probably would have watched this way sooner if someone had been like, Kristen, by the way, Carl Urban is in Lord of the Rings. And I'd be like, I'm going to watch it tonight. Problem solved. <laughs> like, I literally paused the movie and said out loud, Carl Urban is in this? And then Correct. just hit play calmly. But that was a fun, fun little surprise. I mean, I have the opposite response, which is anything I see Carl Urban in, including Judge Dredd, I'm like, Aomer! Uh. <laughs> Little role reversal. Yeah. Also, I did think it was kind of fun how, because I know that everyone loves Aragorn. And it's it's odd, because I'm not an anti-conformist, and I'm not a non-conformist, but for some reason, I got it in my head that I'm like, I'm going to watch these movies. And sure, I'll like Aragorn, but I'm not going to be like, Aragorn, hard eyes emoji. But then by the end of Fellowship, when he was walking towards the orcs, like specifically the way he was walking towards yeah. the orcs, I was like, God damn it, Aragorn, yes. you got me. Mm-hmm. Aragorn mm-hmm. is so impressive to me because he pulls off being edgy and cool, unironically. He's, he's both yeah. of those things. Like, it's hard to do edgy without... I think it's very easy to make fun of characters who try to be rooting and edgy, but like Aragorn just pulls it off. Well, he just is that without it, anybody I, being able to undermine him. Like he's just really cool. I think what helps um, a lot is that he's they, they cast him up in age, uh, and this was or they cast him properly because Viggo Mortensen was great. Uh, famously, Stuart Townsend was originally cast to play Aragorn, and and arrived on set to film a couple days of shooting at the beginning and then peter jackson's like actually you're too young aragorn needs to be older because in the books he's like 65 but like uh-huh. as a dude in a dying that makes him like 40 but like right. it's like we need an older dude because otherwise you're just like i don't know you're a 20 year old edgelord who the f- cares okay um, that is a very good move yeah, right and and I also like like that. can you imagine Stuart townsend as aragorn well, i googled him and i was like no yeah <laughs> like i need to know who that is Hold he's on. he's famously scare quotes in in uh uh queen of the damned with Aaliyah. he plays lestat Two sidebars. One, Pete, I hope you are making note of every time you drop a swear. I've only dropped a single swear successfully, and I did think about it because I yell at Marin all the time about how often she swears. So, Uh, Second, fun Viggo Mortensen fact. Uh, The scene in, I think it's the Two Towers, when his horse pulls him out of the river. Oh. uh, Legit almost drowned. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. He also had like his tooth knocked out doing a fight scene and he was like just glue it back in and peter jackson's like no you need to go to a hospital (laughs) (laughs) you need actual medical treatment yeah that's amazing the the imdb the imdb trivia page for lord of the rings is like one of the greatest two hours of your life you'll spend do they talk about all of the roharam and how most of the um extras in those scenes are women with beards on yes yeah oh i knew that i did know that one Uh, because they didn't have enough horse riders Yes, so they put out a casting call. They're like, we're in New Zealand. We should be able to find people who can ride horses. And, and a, yeah, lo- and a lot of people... women were like, we can ride horses. Like, We can ride horses. Cool, so beards. <laughs> yes. Here you go. That's amazing. God, I wish I could have been one of those horse riding female. I think a lot of them brought their own horses, too. That's super cool. Which makes sense. I mean, like, my take on on the Lord of the Rings movies is that if you were a person who lived in New Zealand when it was shooting, you were were in that movie somewhere. (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. (laughs) One one final thought, for me at least, is um, thinking of other, like, trilogies, uh, and we do not need to go down any rabbit holes on this one, um, but... I, I feel like, obviously, we're all on the page of, like, Return of the King totally landed that ship. Um, and Jedi, because it's serialized, it's like, it kind of doesn't matter if it did or not, because we all just know... Mm, now we just know that, like, you just pick up the next episode later, whether that be a book or the next movie or whatever. Um, but because it's so serialized, it almost doesn't feel like it needs to necessarily end it in the same way that, that Lord of the Rings needs an ending. Does that seem like guess, a fair statement? Yeah, that feels that feels fair. Like, and I think and, and sorry, of, sorry, uh, one last thing here is like Jedi Jedi wraps like Darth Vader's arc, right? Like the Darth and Luke story is over. But like other adventures could happen in this galaxy. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Well, knowing what I know about the next three, I it doesn't wrap Luke's story. Okay, so after Jedi, I watched um the cool parts of Last Jedi, which I love, and was just furious at the missed opportunities that was The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. But that is not this episode. That is a different show. <laughs> it is also correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I said this on Twitter. I will say it here. I'm really glad I made my Twitter account private before I started <laughs> tweeting about Star Wars. <laughs> um, Sorry, so I, cu- I cut someone off before I went into my Jedi spiel. Oh. I was just going to say that with Star Wars, for me at least, it also feels like what adds to the episodic nature is that a lot of the main plot problems in subsequent movies feel like the same plot, plot problem. Like they blow mm. up the Death Star in A New Hope, and then they do it again in Return of the Jedi, and then they do it again in The Force Awakens. Yeah. And I did legitimately like The Force Awakens, and I don't mean to like dunk on Star Wars for it. It just feels like, because it's repetitive, it feels like, well, this is probably going to happen again because villains really like well, I, making super weapons that blow up planets it's it, it's the battle star line everything has happened before and everything will happen again yeah it's, it's like in doctor who like you can get rid of the daleks and the cybermen mm. doesn't matter they're coming back they're right. part of the show right i'm sorry doctor who is not a ship that i can board with you i'll get on that tardis with you though <laughs> thank you we'll have fun <laughs> um but Doctor Who is, like, it's a serialized television show. So it, like, yeah. yes, we've defeated the enemy forever 
for now. Um, well, and Doctor yeah. Who is very explicitly meant to be cyclical. Like, mm -hmm. you get to the end of Doctor Who and you just get a new Doctor. Yeah. I like it. It's fun. I haven't watched any of the new episodes, but episodes with David Tennant, top notch. <laughs> but that's, again, another story for another time. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, so on the next episode of Did You Do Your Homework, we are going, um, we are going old school. We're getting biblical. We are getting biblical. We are going to be taking a look at media inspired by and adapting the Old Testament. Ooh. Um, and our homework for that is going to be the 2014, uh, biblical blockbuster noah and the 1998 animated musical the prince of egypt i was gonna riot if that wasn't on your list i'm gonna be oh, yes. with you. i was gonna be like <laughs> you're doing it wrong if that wasn't who wasn't one of the two you were watching uh what can people tune in for for catching up david for next time our next episode is moana yes, yes. Mm. which so good as i uh I always give a little summary at the end, and I did that at the end of our Twilight episode, which you should also check out if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on Twilight, having never seen it before. I am actually. But, Very much but so. Moana, yeah, Moana is a movie I know literal nothing about. I, I've, I've heard of it, and I know that a, a lot of my friends say it's their favorite Disney movie, but I don't know a single thing about the plot, so I'm going into it completely fresh and it should be a good time what is your other disney movie like framework like have, have you seen a bunch of other disney movies or is this like one of the few other disney movies you will be watching so i i grew up with disney movies okay so like you know lion king robin hood like good, the, good, good. like you, you, you the, you've got the staples i know a, a lot of the classic ones but once i hit you know puberty probably yeah. like once i was in high school once um, once you became an I, idiot boy teenager who was like disney's stupid exactly yeah right so this is there there are we had on our first episode we made a list of all the movies that i should definitely watch and am a fool for missing out on and there are a lot of disney movies on that list so <laughs> Well, I very Did much you enjoyed your episodes on Frozen and Zootopia, so looking forward to this one. Yes. Did you come up with your little uh, summary for Moana as you have done before? I did. I, I, I read it at the end of the, the Twilight episode. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I remember that now. It's been so long. Quarantine brain. Yes. Um, so if you want to follow us while you are waiting for new episodes. Oh, and uh, I, I guess, uh, hold oh? on. Uh, when when does the next Catching Up David come out? Do you know when when the Moana episode's dropping? We are recording it next Monday. So next Wednesday, which should be the 16th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, yep, 16th of September. That's when you should expect it. Cool. Okay, and you can you can find our episode on the Old Testament on September twenty third. Correct. Yes. 
Um, and if you would like to uh, follow us while you are waiting for that, you can find us on social media at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, we are on t uh, Twitter and Instagram sporadically. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework? If you just plug it into the search bar, you'll get there. Uh, you can contact us with questions, comments, concerns, uh, ideas for show topics at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us individually uh, on social media. I'm at Magical Martha on Twitter and Instagram. And Pete, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000, politics and pop culture in the giant sucking void that is Twitter. Uh, and you can also catch our sister show, Love Ya, which releases on our same feed on Alternating Wednesdays, which is a show that I do with Pete's wife, Marin, where we watch a teen movie or a rom-com and then we pick it apart. Uh, our last episode was on the Bling Ring and our next one will be on the rom-com Always Be My Maybe. So check us out. Spoilers, neither of you liked the Bling Ring, but it was one of the best episodes you've ever done. Thank you. I soak up praise like a sponge. <laughs> um, uh, how about for our compatriots over at Catching Up, David, any social media you guys want to share? Any other projects that you want to plug? Little less, uh, a little less extensive social media outreach, but you can definitely find us on Twitter at Catching Up David, as well as just about anywhere you can listen to a podcast, but especially Podbean, Apple, um, others that I'm certainly forgetting spotify else? we're on spotify yeah. yep and our um our main feed is catching up david.podbean.com yeah and you can find did you do your homework um our main feed is on soundcloud because we are irresponsible podcasters uh, but you can also find us on spotify apple podcasts uh stitcher mm -hmm. google play um or your podcast aggregate of your choice this was really fun, guys. Thank you for yeah. um, thank you for working with us to bring our listeners this giant, supersized uh, episode. I'm so glad yeah, that you, you arranged this. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, thank really you for fun. putting it together, Martha. I kind of love it when I make Marin record Love Ya at like 10 a.m. No, I hate I that. That's the, that is the literal worst because she is non-functional. Your best episodes are when it's at night when she is like awake. I know. <laughs> but yes, it's very obvious when she's like, I just woke up and I hate everything. <laughs>